AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years, and not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, they say the best things in life are free. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. Now, Joe, I look at you and I just think, you're not, you're not in the right place, Joe. You're you not, know, you don't belong here. Yeah. You, you belong in a swamp. <laughs> that's, that's choice number two, actually. Choice number one, oddly, you're wearing the same thing in both scenarios is that you're wearing a, a rumpled 
uh, Oxford shirt that's been rolled up to the elbows. You got a tie that's a little, you know, dislodged and your hair's all mussed up and you're standing in the middle of a crowd of people all with sheets of paper in their hands and you're making these crazy hand signals to, uh, some guy who stands in front of a bunch of numbers that keep on changing and you just keep s- screaming out buy and sell in random increments. Yeah. You're imagining me as an extra from the movie Wall Street. Yeah. Which was about the place Wall Street. Yes. Which is about money. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, you've nailed it, actually. Yeah. That's my personality. I, I write about science technology in the future, but my real passion is is international finance. Yeah, I can and tell. And especially the part that involves uh, standing someplace and shouting. Oddly enough, you would be doing the same thing in the swamp, <clears throat> just to whatever creatures happen to be stopping by. So, okay, so yeah, th- this isn't... Um, the easiest topic for everyone to find something interesting about uh, international finance, stocks, commodities, markets. But it turns out that there are crazy machines involved in stocks, markets. Finance. Yeah. And as you read about these crazy machines, you start to envision a future, a future that's similar to, say, the Terminator film series. Yeah. So <laughs> we wanted to talk today uh, about that future and about some of these machines and what they do. So before we get into the future, let's talk about the past. Yeah. You guys know what happened on May 6, 2010? Can, can you tell us, John? I can. I was waiting for a response, which your your stunned silence tells me that I need to explain. That was the it day. Was, uh, it was when the superhero, the Flash, smashed into the side of a mountain. Oh, the Flash crash. Okay, well, you got the name right, yeah. but but the particulars are a little different from what you are envisioning. That's not what the Flash crash It was. didn't involve Barry Allen smashing into the side of a cliff. No, the Flash crash was really about... Uh, a bad day on the uh, for the Dow, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It dropped about nine percent, which was around a thousand points total that day, and recovered most of those losses within the span of well, less than an hour actually. But six hundred points of that one thousand point loss came in the space of five minutes, and it required about twenty minutes for the market to recover. And there are a lot of different reasons why the stock market dropped that day. One of the reasons was that Greece was undergoing that terrible debt crisis that was gripping a lot of Europe, actually. Greece was just sort of the hotbed for it. And then there were other issues as well. But some of it has to do with these crazy machines all acting on what they what they perceived to be market trends in mass. And it began to kind of create an uh, escalating effect. Yeah, I guess it's not so much the machines that are crazy, but it's what the machines do. These yeah. are computers executing what we call high-frequency trading. Yeah, which uh, you might wonder, well, what, what does that mean? High-frequency trading is pretty much what it sounds like. You're trading lots and lots and lots of shares throughout a day. Like Your shares are, are – you're buying and selling uh, sometimes – Multiple times within a second. Yeah, and actually, usually not that many shares. You usually keep the number of shares to a couple of hundred, but you're but you're flipping them tens of thousands of times a day in in order to rack up these fractions of a cent each time. Right, because uh, stock prices are actually averaged out quite a few decimal places these days. So you you could be talking about point zero 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 five cents in a trade, but if you have enough of those over a course of a day, 
that, that, that starts to amount to some real money. Okay, so high-frequency trading was partially responsible for the flash crash, but surely that's the only time something like that has happened. No, oh. actually, there was another blip in 2013, and by blip I mean like $136 billion market value blip. Um, I, by the way, I accept blips. If anyone has a $136 billion blip they'd like to give me, also blimps. I, I'm a dirigible fan. So just yeah. throwing that out there. I actually, we'll accept cheap dirigibles here That's at true. Forward Thinking. That's true. I like to think of them as reasonably priced, but go on. Uh, okay. So in this instant in 2013, um, the AP's uh, the Associated Press's Twitter account was hacked, and it sent out news that bombs had gone off in the White House and that Obama had been injured. Um, of course, that never happened. But programs that were monitoring the news sold off holdings within seconds, and the market plummeted. Yeah, so oh, that, man. These are, these are two, <laughs> two separate but connected uh, trends here, right? We've got computers that are following algorithms that are looking for market trends. Like if they see something happening in the market, they pounce on it, whether that's buying or selling whatever stocks they happen to have. And then the other trend is machines that are taking in information from the real world and acting upon it. So both of these things are happening in increasingly large numbers and frequencies in the United States in particular. Uh, in other countries as well, we're not the only ones who do it, but investors of this kind sometimes call themselves quants, uh, alluding to some kind of metaphorical quantum unit of money, which of course does not exist, right. but it's kind of cute. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and the strategy here is to, is to yeah, f- flip all of these shares back and forth based on minute changes in the stock market thousands of times a day and then remove all your funds from the market by the close of business. Right. So, yeah, you you get in and out every single day. It's kind of it's kind of mind-boggling. And it's and it's operating at a speed that human people literally cannot compete at. Right. Yeah. No, there, by the time you would see a an offering on a stock, it would already be too late. Right. Uh, in yeah. this world. Yeah. You know, too late a thousand times over. We're talking about machines that can uh, that can make a decision in a, uh, a fraction like, of like a, a fraction mil- of a second, a millionth of a second. Yeah. And it might be responding to, like we talked about, something in the news or some kind of external predictor, or it might be responding to the just the market prices themselves, mm-hmm. right? Right. Yeah. Now, according to one story I read, in 2012, high-speed computer algorithms, or algos as some call them, I don't. Uh, accounting for about 55% of all trading in U.S. stocks, which uh, sounds like a lot. Until you hear other numbers, I've heard that estimated at as high as 80% yeah, for which... 2012. And, and as much as 30% for U.K. stocks or 40% for other European stock markets. Right. And, and so here we're talking about not just uh, uh, high frequency here. It's obviously all about speed as well. So it's not just how many times are you trading stocks throughout the day, but how quickly can you uh, pounce upon a trend? An opportunity yeah. in order to make that fraction of a cent. So uh, let's uh, before we get into actually how that happens and what and what lengths people and companies have gone to in order to get that that advantage of speed, maybe it's time to take a little step back. Right. Let's let's turn the clock back and take a look at how stock markets even came into being and and how they work in general so that we can understand what's going on at these incredible speeds. So if you were to go back to, uh, say, the Middle Ages and, um, you know, you know, dust yourself off a little bit and look around. The earliest examples of what would eventually become stock exchanges really grew out of the the money lending and later the banking movements 
that were just getting started. Really, money lending had been around for a while, but banking was pretty darn new. Um, and so at that point, one of the things that started to become commonplace was trading of debts. So, Lauren, let's say that you had borrowed a small sum of money and you fully intend to pay it back. And you are probably going to be able to. And I happen to hold the the debt, the promise you are going to be okay. paying me. Joe, let's say that you have borrowed a ludicrous sum of money and you have very little intent to pay it back, but no one knows that. Well, I needed to invest in my alchemy lab. Okay, so <laughs> you you have gone and into once I turn all this lead into gold, you'll get your money back and then some. So Joe has invested heavily in Al's chemicals, and uh, <laughs> uh, so Joe's money is potentially never going to be seen again. Now, I have a chance, a pretty good chance of getting the loan uh, paid off by Lauren, but someone else holding Joe's loan may say, hey, I'll trade you this this loan for that loan, whereas you know yours has almost a guarantee of being paid off. Mine doesn't have a very strong guarantee, but the payoff would be much larger. And so you would have people start to trade those kinds of uh, those debts. And uh, this got to be a pretty big thing. However, there was no, <laughs> there was no formal place to meet to do this. You at wonder, the time. you wonder if the higher risk, bigger debts are more attractive to people who are better at extracting payment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Or less good at math. Yeah. yeah. Also. Well, uh, yeah, like. <laughs> The Borgias were probably pretty darn good at it at the, by the, at their height. But then you had, uh, around the, the, uh, early 1500s, the Belgian stock exchange, which traded in bonds and promissory notes. Now, promissory notes, that's essentially saying, I promise to pay you X amount of money. It's but an IOU. Legally. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a legal document, but it is essentially an IOU. Uh, and then in shipping, you started to see uh, the people who owned ships would sell shares in a voyage. The idea being that by raising this money, they could outfit the voyage. And then if the voyage were successful, they would pay out profits from that voyage to their backers, which is very similar to the kind of stuff we would see in, say, a movie like The Producers. Sure. Where you get this idea of selling shares in a, in a show. In that case, they were trying to uh, sell shares in a show that was guaranteed to fail so they wouldn't have to pay anyone back. Uh, but this was this is the basis of what would eventually become kind of a, a again a, a stock market. And in fact, in London, you get your first stock market in 1773, and 19 years later, that's when the New York Stock Exchange was formed. And so, uh, that takes us to how these these systems work. So you've got buyers and sellers, right? And you have a market there. Uh, often, the market is actually the entity that's holding stocks and is selling to you. Uh, you, you have a price which is guided by the market itself and basically guided by the amount of money someone was last willing to buy or sell a stock at. So if you want to buy stock, Joe, let's say that you're ready to buy into Al's chemicals today, you know, because that, that I, business really turned around after the Middle Ages. I want to invest in lead. Okay, so Joe wants to invest in lead. He he thinks lead is going places. So Joe, you you say that uh, you're willing to pay. How much are you willing to pay for a share of lead? Uh, a dollar. Company. A dollar. So Joe is willing to pay one dollar for a share of lead. And how many shares are you wanting to purchase in total? A uh, hundred. So Joe is willing to pay one dollar per share of lead for up to one hundred shares of lead. Now let's say that you have a that that would by the way be called a bid. That that's your bid. For a yeah. share, for a hundred shares, give a hundred bucks for it. Yeah. Now the seller might say, you know, I'm willing to sell uh, uh, fifty shares of lead 
but my asking price, my ask is a hundred, uh, a hundred dollars. So there's a big gap there, right? You're asking, yeah. you, you're willing for a dollar. They're asking for a hundred. This would be a bad, what they call spread, but let's say as much you were, you were being very realistic or maybe, maybe the price is much lower. We'll say they're asking for a dollar oh five per share. Then you have a spread of five cents per share. It's not that big a deal. If it's the market that's selling this, the market ends up in, uh, kind of pocketing that five cent difference every time these trades are happening. And that's how the market makes money. And uh, again, the stock price is reflected by that last transaction. So if your transaction was the last one and you actually bought, say, 100, 100 shares of lead for a dollar or five a piece, dollar or five would be what the stock price would be. So that's the basis of this. So if you were able to act very, very quickly and, and you saw that a stock price had changed to uh, a specific amount and you were able to leap on it right at that moment before anything, any other changes in the market happened, before anyone else made a purchase and then sold it for a different amount, which would change the stock price, you could stand to benefit from that, uh, either by selling something slightly higher than what it was or buying it when it was slightly lower. And, you know, it, there's a lot of different uh, maneuvers you could do within the stock market, but, you know, you're limited by how fast you can do them, which yeah. is where things like computers come in. Oh, well, I mean, because in, in ye olden days, and by ye olden days, I mean for, for a great part of the 20th century, in fact, this involved a lot of literal running around. I mean, high, high technology at the time was hiring the fastest and loudest kid that you could to go work on the exchange floor. Yeah. Um, and or, or sometimes pigeons. Legends say that pigeons were used to trade in real time on the outcome at Waterloo. Yeah. The so. Rothschild family yeah. supposedly <laughs> used pigeons to uh, to learn the outcome of the Battle of Waterloo before anyone else so that they could then act upon the market uh, accordingly. So <laughs> I guess they had a strategy like, OK, if the French win, <laughs> go with this. <laughs> So it was kind of an interesting uh that's that is an interesting legend whether or not it's true you know it could be apocryphal we don't know Sure but um, um but all of this did definitely change when computers started to become a thing um yeah. in October of 1986 a computer system replaced that original trading floor of the of the New York Stock Exchange and uh it tripled the number of exchanges that could be made within months or that were literally made within months Yeah so you suddenly see a lot more volume as a result you see uh more, you know, a higher frequency, but not high frequency trading yet. That would come certainly later. Right. But it's it certainly that that set the stage. And now we've gotten to a point where we really want to eliminate latency as much as possible. Latency is that period between uh, recognizing a, a, tr- a potential trend and acting upon it. And latency depends on a couple of different things in this world. It depends on how good your computer algorithm is at recognizing trends and then and then executing a command. And it depends upon the actual uh, communication connection. Yeah, the, the physical hardware that you're using. Right. Uh, even the infrastructure, right? The, mm-hmm. the cables that connect you to the New York Stock Exchange. In fact, at this point, you have companies that are willing to pay top dollar to have, uh, to have machines all stored in, essentially they're all putting them in the same building that's near the New York Stock Exchange in order to have as, as close a connection to the stock exchange as possible. And to keep things fair, the engineers in that building equalize the cable that runs to each of these servers, like, like adding a few feet of cable when necessary so that these messages that are moving essentially y'all at the speed of light are going to equal out. Yeah, that's kind of incredible that a, a few feet can make a difference. 
So the actual physical speed of data transfer depends upon the medium you're using to transmit that information. Uh, right, because the speed of light is a constant and it's a hypothetical ideal that we're never really going to reach. Right. right. That's the speed of light in a vacuum. Yeah. And so what we're dealing with is like various extremely fast transmissions, say like uh, the stream of a microwave transmission through the air versus like a, a fiber optic cable across sure. the street, you know. Right, as it turns out light does travel at different speeds through different media, right? Yeah. I mean, it all depends upon the medium. Or electromagnetic waves because we're going to be talking not entirely about light. That's true. That's true. So, if you are talking about optic cable, so fiber optic cables, uh you can transmit lots of information through fiber optic cables by doing lots of tricky things like having multiple cores and even a different geometric uh layout of how the light itself travels through that cable. So you may have heard about the fastest supercomputers in the world using fiber optic to move massive amounts of data in very little time. But this is this is that difference between speed and throughput that we've talked about before in this podcast. It's not that the data is moving faster. It's that it's able to move more data at the same time. So it's it's tr- not necessarily traveling at the speed of light. So speed of light through optical cable is around... 200,000 kilometers per second. Uh, but, you know, if that sounds pretty fast, 200,000 kilometers per second. I mean, I'm not saying that's slow, but if you were to, say, set up a microwave tower and a receiver and send a message that way, that travels at around 300,000 kilometers per second. So markedly faster, right? You're going much faster than you would be if you were going through optic cables. So, there are companies that are setting up these microwave relay towers uh, to transmit information between, say, the New York Stock Exchange and a uh, and trading houses in Chicago that deal with futures, right? Because the activity in one can affect the other. And if you know about it ahead of time, ahead of your competition, you stand to make a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, even by by fractions of a second faster than your competition. And there are problems with microwaves that you don't run into with optical cable, like it's a direct line of sight kind yeah. of issue. Right. And if there's a storm, it can interfere with transmission, right? Sure. So, I mean, the same reasons that we don't use satellites for this kind of thing, because right. latency, I mean, you can move a lot more data, but... Yeah. But for that information to travel all the way up into space and then relay with a satellite and then be beamed back down to some receiving station on Earth, that that information has to travel a huge distance, obviously, yeah. all the way up into low Earth orbit and then back down and then or not even low Earth orbit. That could be much higher than low Earth orbit. Uh, so then you have a real latency problem. Sure. Uh, and people are working with microwaves on that entire line of sight issue, right? No, oh, sure. A couple of different companies have been working on building microwave towers. Like I said, between New York and Chicago, they're also looking at the possibility of using microwaves to transmit information across the Atlantic, which would be a lot trickier because, you know, building towers out in the middle of the ocean, not easy. However, there's at least one guy who suggests we use drones. Microwave drones. Yeah, drones that can actually. service of the stock market. Wow, (laughs) that's just. So you you think, you know, you'd have to have a drone that would be uh, very energy efficient to be able to maintain flight over the Atlantic Ocean without needing to recharge every few minutes. It would have to have some kind of crazy power source, perhaps 
one of the ones we've talked about in one of our previous episodes. But if you were able to do it, then in theory, you could have a drone microwave relay station to transmit information across the Atlantic Ocean, which would travel faster than it would with a fiber optic cable. So uh, assuming that there weren't these atmospheric problems in the way, obviously, that we mentioned earlier. Oh, right. Sure. And I mean, as as crazy as this all sounds, it might, in fact, be more reasonable than the $300 million uh, cable laying project that's underway to shave uh, 65 milliseconds to just under 60 from London to See, New here's York. the thing. If there's money to be made, someone's doing it. That's yeah. really the message we're, we're getting at here is that, you know, you're you're hearing like these incredible like. You're just taking maybe a little bit more than five milliseconds off of a transmission line. That seems so tiny to us. But the fact is that can trans translate into mega dollars. Yeah. Yeah. For for these for these crazy high frequency trader people. Okay, so I have a question. Sure. So obviously lots of people are going to be trying to get their uh, their buying signal out there faster Mm -hmm. to get out ahead of the competition. But I can foresee that one way to get out ahead of the competition is not to get there faster, but to make smarter decisions or to trick your opponent into making dumber decisions. Right. So So I have to guess if people are spending millions of dollars shaving half of a second off of a transmission time, they're probably also spending money on software that's designed to do this. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. So you've got software, like we said, the algorithms that are designed to specifically look for trends in the market. That's one type, right? They're looking for any kind of indication that a certain type of market condition is about to happen and so therefore act in advance of that. Uh, Right, which I mean, you've got these algorithms watching Twitter and blogs and stuff like that. Right. Then you've got those, exactly, the ones that are looking at the news itself and not just market conditions, but also external conditions that could then affect the market. Remember that the market is going to lag behind any news, but it's not going to lag a lot. as news, well, especially if you have machines making these decisions. Well, yeah, because as news propagation gets faster and if they are, if there are ways of getting that news into a machine-readable format faster and faster, whether or not that means that you've translated the news into machine-readable format, or you've created a program that has really good natural language recognition software, then you're going to have machines reacting to real-world news essentially immediately after it happens, or at least immediately after it's been reported. So uh, then you have this market being even more reactive to real-world conditions, sometimes perhaps overreactive, like in the example of the false story about the the bomb. Right, right. Um, Further murkying the software waters here, we've got some some algorithms that are undertaking something like like denial of service attacks they're basically clogging exchanges with quotes to to test the market or confuse other software or to just plain slow down the entire system yeah this is kind of like when you hear it is very much like a denial of service i'm glad you put it that way because it's like pinging a, a server for a response that's you know a basic command right you ping a server to see how long it takes for uh your message to go out and for a response to come back and if you send Lots of pings to a server from lots of different sources at once. You can overwhelm the server, and that's a denial. That's a kind of denial of service attack. Quotes are kind of similar. It's sort of like, uh, almost like a false bid for a stock. And if you're able to send a lot of them out, it mm-hmm. may end up clogging up the whole system or just fooling other algorithms into thinking that a particular stock is something it should move on. Right. And then as those algorithms move on your decoy, you can then you know, twirl your mustache and then 
go after the actual target you were interested in all along. Uh, right. I should mention that some of these some of these pings uh, could be completely legit. Sure. Just trying try, trying to test and see what price of stock is at at any given point, and you do have to do that pretty frequently and pretty quickly in order to engage in this high frequency trading stuff. And furthermore, unlike a denial of service attack, this is in no way illegal. It's just considered a little bit rude. Yeah, maybe. Some people Ish. don't even look at it as rude. Now, th- now, granted, this is one of those conditions that could change over time, right? If, oh, sure. If enough, if enough people or let's just say computers abuse this system and it becomes an actual problem as opposed to something that is, you know, generally looked upon as dirty pool, but it's all allowed, then you might, you might actually see companies get uh, a little bit of a, a wrist slap for this kind of behavior. Um, so it may turn out that perhaps five years down the road, algorithms cannot have this sort of uh, behavior built into them. You know, I uh, I don't want to be unfair to the stock trading community, but I kind of have to see that within this world, there's not a lot of like middle ground between not allowed and we're going to do it. Yeah, there's not like this huge gray area where it's like, well, we could do that, but that wouldn't be very nice. No, I mean, you, it seems kind of like if it's not illegal, you, you do you it. Should, it, you should you probably it. be doing <laughs> it. Do it till it's illegal. Is yeah. essentially the message. Well, again, it's all about if it's if it's profitable, then it makes sense, right? I mean, literally makes sense in the case of fractions oh, of a cent. Oh dear. Okay, so uh, now let's talk about how. Thing, this is actually affecting the world today. We've already talked about the flash crash and the other, the, the blip, the $136 billion blip. But, uh, what is the future going to be like in this world of high frequency trading, computer algorithms reacting to, to news and other changing conditions? What's that future like? Oh, so, some industry insiders are really gloomy about it, actually. They're, they're worried about, about jobs. Um, and I mean, there's definitely been a, a trend towards, these algorithms replacing some of the people who originally worked in in fields trying to figure out what stocks and particular markets were doing. Right. Um, so so they're worried about that. They're worrying worrying about the dependence on technology changing the market into something unidentifiable and coldly automated. Kind of the sort of buzz that you hear about any segment of the tech industry. Um, not that I'm saying that they're you know wrong to to have this concern. And then they're also concerned about stuff like glitches and hacks undermining market stability in our already really delicate economy. Yeah, that that delicate economy that was brought about by a lot of people. <laughs> Just saying, maybe maybe their message is, look, we don't need help messing up our economy. We've been doing it for years. Done and done. <laughs> so, yeah. And like we said, it's it's not even a fair playing ground now if you are a person trying to play in this world. I mean, you, you just can't move at the speed of these algorithms. I mean, you literally cannot read something in the space of time that it would take a machine to read it and make a decision and enact that decision. Right. So, you know, it's one of those things where if you look at a stock price, you can pretty much guarantee that whatever that uh, stock is trading at is no longer the price that you're looking at, at least on, uh, you know, it might be a fraction of a cent different, but it will be different. And depending upon the type of trading you're engaged in, that could be a big deal. Uh, now, we might see if these systems do cause big issues, some regulation step in. Uh, it, it'll probably be, I mean, it's going to be a reactive kind of thing, I think. I, I doubt we're going to see any proactive regulation, huh, but we'll probably, probably see. Not. In, in fact, so far, uh, the regulations seem to be opening up the market to more of this kind of trading. Right. So it'll only be, I think, in the wake of something uh, spectacular or <laughs> catastrophic, however you want to uh, describe it. I think that's going to be 
the required event before we see any uh, regulations step in. But I imagine that that would happen eventually should this uh, prove to be more harm than good. I mean, because ultimately this is about making money. And if it means that people are not able to make money because there are all these blips that create a false market where nothing, the the value of everything is not accurately reflected in the prices, which by the way, you could already argue <laughs> for yeah. a lot of companies. But if, if this made that problem bad enough, I would imagine that would uh, cause some uh, regulations to arise as a result. Also, you know, there is a difference between high frequency trading and the kind of of uh, investment that your average investor is doing, right? It's oh, not right. This, this isn't like your four hundred one k or something right, like right. that. Right, right. You know, this is like we said. You know, like you were saying, Lauren, it's all about getting in and getting out in the same day and making lots of small trades throughout the day. You know, thousands of times a second. Sometimes these are hobbyists or professionals who who are doing this on on purpose a lot, really hard. Yeah, this isn't this isn't about investing in a company or or even people who want to invest in a company they believe believe in as a way of supporting that company and then earning rewards off of that support in the long run, assuming that company is actually successful. You know, that's a very different approach. That's a very different strategy. Although so, uh, I, I did want to put in that if all this high speed stuff sounds weird and like counterproductive to that ostensible goal of, of an investor and a company, you know, mutually benefiting each other mm-hmm. with that money exchange, um, traditional stock theory does state that all trades are of benefit to the overall economy because they, they keep the market flexible and more welcoming to investors. Yeah, it's all about liquidity. Right, exactly. So, yeah, this is a so it's, you know, is it scary? Sure, because you're talking about a lot of different automated processes that are, you know, we hope working to their best advantage, but could conceivably, if they all react in a similar way, either drive the market uh, up and and it would end up being a, a false market that way or make it crash down. Uh, hopefully, should that ever happen, the market would be able to correct itself relatively quickly the way it did back in 2010. Uh, but, you know, it's certainly one of those things where, you know, you feel like the control is slipping further and further away from human hands. And that's always something that gives us a little bit of a pause. Oh, sure. And it's not even with high frequency trading. Like like I was saying a second ago, um you know, a- algorithms are starting to replace lots of traditional stock analysts. So mm-hmm. so changes are definitely happening across the board. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that you might not uh, for those other methods, you might not have something where it's trading as frequently. It may be. Oh, right. Right. You're not going to cause these kind of um, data sensitive crashes. Right. Yeah. You might just have an algorithm that's looking at the market in general and saying which of these prospects seem mm-hmm. the most promising for X payoff. Because, you know, again, like if you've ever in uh been part of a 401k, you've you've probably seen multiple choices that you could put your money into. Some of them are higher risk, but higher payoff if the risk pays off. Some of them are lower risk, but lower payoff. Same sort of thing. These algorithms are just trying to identify those those trends uh, mathematically. You know, uh, you know, I remember reading from one analyst who said that uh, according to what they could tell, that you could be just as effective in the stock market if you threw a dart at a list of stocks as you could if you were a strategist really studying the market, uh, which is a little cynical. Uh, I'm sure all of us have felt that way if we've looked at our 401ks <laughs> at some point. Especially um, over the past three years yeah, or so. Yeah, yeah. let's not talk about it. I've, <laughs> yeah. Um, I like to think I funded several Kickstarters magically through the money lost in my 401k. So that's that's the way I like to think of it. Y'all obviously have not been funding alchemy like I have. Yeah, it's it's due. I tells uh, you. Uh, <laughs> great great returns on alchemy Al- these alchemical days. Alchemical is just really 
<laughs> but, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I think that overall having more data and more software devoted to crunching that data in any system is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I cannot I cannot look at that and say, no, knowing stuff is bad. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that we've got these um, online investing tools is also a pretty fabulous thing. You know, it's, it's letting people that might have never gotten into this kind of gig Experiment. Yeah. Experiment you got, it. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely opened up those, the opportunities quite a bit. I mean, you know, it doesn't take, you don't have to think back that far to r- imagine a world where the uh, stock trading, the only thing anyone knew about it was from films like Wall Street because it was something that only. So esoteric. Yeah. A very elite few were engaged in it and most of them were big companies or very wealthy individuals who were engaged in it and the rest of us were you know feeling like uh that was a world that that was mythical like the land of dragons and unicorns but these days we can all have access to it well that kind of wraps up our discussion about the stock market the computer algorithms the robots that are going to own everything that we have built over the last few centuries just never hook skynet up to it okay well i'll i'll take that under consideration i don't know skynet's really convincing i was talking to it the other day and it had some great ideas so guys uh here's another great idea go visit fwthinking.com that's a website where we've got all the blog posts podcasts videos other content that is really cool it's all about the future and science and technology and you should definitely check that out if you haven't been there. And also remember, you can you can join in on the conversation. We are on various social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. You can find us with the handle FWThinking. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit ForwardThinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. 
With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids. No plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. 